This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Homeschool and Epsigon. This week, I chat with Paul Chin Jr. about building serverless with Begin. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 63. everyone, I'm Jeremy Daly and this is Serverless Chats. Today I'm chatting with Paul Chin Jr. Hey Paul, thanks for joining me. Hey Jeremy, thank you so much, I'm really excited. So you are, uh, or you do developer relations at Begin. Um, so I'd love it if you could tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what Begin does. Sure, um, well my name is Paul Chin Jr. Uh, at Begin we are uh, a service to make Deploying serverless applications, just super simple, really straightforward. Um, we give developers everything they need from uh, local development all the way through the CICD pipeline. And then we put their app onto live AWS infra. Um, for developer relations, my job is to help developers like understand this technology, onboard them, uh, and get good feedback from them so we can make the service even better. Now, I notice you have a sloth hiding behind you. Is that sort oh, of yeah. like a, is that something, you know, that basically said this is how it used to be and now this is, you know, now serverless is so much faster? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I feel like sometimes, you know, we got to give ourselves permission to slow down a little bit. You know, it's a, it's a reminder that says, you know, it's going to be okay. And even if I step away, it's going to be okay. Perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, so I'd love to talk to you about Begin, and, and I want to get into a whole bunch of things with that, uh, but maybe we can begin, I'm sorry, that was a really bad joke, but maybe we can begin by just talking about your path into technology, because I know it's a little bit non-traditional, and this is one of those themes, I think, um, that we see a lot with serverless, is a lot of people from non-traditional backgrounds go into serverless. So um, so what was your path like, and um, and then how did that lead you into serverless? Oh man, like this question is always great. And I love sharing the story because uh, it's a good example of, of just where technology has taken us now. Um, I don't have a CS degree and I was never doing anything remotely technical. Uh, I was just always a big business nerd and I've had several businesses in the past. And then one day I decided I should learn how this software stuff works. Like I use the internet a lot, so I should figure out how it works because it's, you know, it's going to help me no matter what I do. And so I decided to undertake, like, I'm going to learn how to program in JavaScript to make web applications and, and do all that stuff. And so I started that. Um, and I had a wonderful local community of developers um, that kind of took me in and mentored me. And from there, I just wanted to find the fastest, quickest, easiest way to build a form or to build a CRUD app. And that always led me to cloud native services. Like I didn't know it at the time, but not setting up my tooling and not setting up a server and not like all these things that I would read about. I was like, I don't want to do any of this. And then I would find a new service and it would just do it for me. And I was like, great, I'll just use this. And they always had a free tier. Um, they were always easy to sign up. You just give them an email or a GitHub or something. And then that's how I continued on this path of like, quote now, like cloud native development to use all the buzzwords, right? Um, and it was just a very organic thing for me to continue to learn and build 
and put stuff out because none of the infrastructure was in my way. None of the, 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 the arcana of like what it is to be a web developer was in my way. Yeah, no, I, so I think that's, that's how I got to it. Yeah, no, I think that's a, uh, I think that's a common story. Um, this idea of sort of like you look at everything you would need to do in order to build out a full-on web application, and you're just like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll take up gardening or something like that because it just seems like an easier, uh, easier path. But I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I don't have as traditional uh, as a background or as traditional a background as a CS degree, and some of those things I actually did like a split degree and random stuff. But I, I ran a web development company for years and years and years, and for and mostly I taught myself how to program just by reading books and, and using the internet and things like that. And I went down the deep path of learning how servers work and, and how networking works and all that kind of stuff, um, which uh, I'm glad I did. But for somebody new, it just seems like it's uh, it's a it's if unless you're getting specifically into that business, if you just want to learn to build applications uh, and develop in the cloud, then then that traditional experience, I think, is uh, is not necessary anymore. Yeah, and it, it changes so fast, you know. Right. Uh, I got started um, when I got started right when like the mean stack was like a thing. Like right. everybody wanted to build me like, you know, the Angular Node Express thing. And um, I recently, as as part of you know uh, my my job at Begin, is like to take these uh example apps and and make them you know better uh and make them more accessible and so i recently just took one of the first sites i ever made and uh you know went to the free code camp resource that i had used five years ago when i first built it and i go man none of this is actually deploying anywhere and so i was trying to remember like well how did i actually deploy this thing i must have done it on heroku or something but there's no instructions for it right and uh, I remember like that was a friction point. I was like, okay, I've gone through this tutorial. I've built this thing. It works locally on local host only. Now what? And, you know, what Begin does is say every time you push to GitHub, your stuff is live. Like it's, it's just automatic, right? right? It's just a given. We think that it's just table stakes now. Like while you're building and prototyping and developing, you should be able to see it on 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 live resources. And um, so I've updated, you know, the Express app. I even threw the entire Express server inside of a single Lambda and it works uh, just as a proof of concept, but, mm -hmm. you know, splitting them off and, and doing more um, event architecture with it is, you know, the next level. And it's just as, as straightforward, right? Because if you're pushing to GitHub, you can push to the cloud, like that's it. Right. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, so let's talk about begin because I think that's one of those things where if you think about serverless development and you're thinking of SAM, the serverless, uh, you know, the serverless uh, framework, mm -hmm. um, and or the serverless framework. So the serverless application model, the serverless framework. Um, obviously, architect is uh, is the backbone of of, of begin um, or is part of that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, you've got Claudia JS, you've got Breath, you've got all these other things that you know mm -hmm. are, are ways to deploy. Um, but but getting getting that as part of a process as part of a CI/CD process that is always repeatable that you're not deploying from somebody's laptop every time you want to push something to production um, you know which was very which was very common with those tutorials that you mentioned before um, so let's talk about what Begin actually 
does um, and and okay. what it doesn't do, because I think that's important for people to understand um, where there may be limitations, because begin is all about being serverless, right? So um, I think that could help too, just to say, hey, here's what you can do with begin, um, and here's and and here's where that correlates to what is possible with serverless. So what what's the what? So at a very high level, I guess let's start there. What can you do with begin? Um, so. Begin uses uh, OpenJS Architect, which is a serverless deployment framework um, that can package and bundle up all of your lambdas. Um, all of the Begin applications um, are comprised of small serverless functions. Like that, that's it. Um, and so what we do is we associate your project inside of GitHub with a full CI CD pipeline straight to AWS. And every time you push to your default branch and, and, and commit there, it will kick off a build in the cloud. Um, and it'll do it you know, as many times as you push to it. Um, and we give you uh, the full AWS in infrastructure. We don't actually manage any of the infrastructure personally ourselves, right? Um, we just make it easier for you to launch onto AWS without an AWS account. Um, you know, I think that setting up AWS with keys and IAM roles and all that stuff um, is necessary. And we've sort of have hidden it um, with a really nice UI and uh, made it so that people can push their lambdas um, without having to go through uh, a bunch of stuff. Uh, and we do that as a combination of the CI/CD platform and uh, OpenJS Architect. Right. So you're building you're building your applications with OpenJS Architect, uh, the the Architect framework, which is a really really terse framework. I mean, it is amazing how little you have to write <laughs> um, to make that work, um, which is yeah. is quite amazing. Uh, and I love I love that about that. And I I, I spoke with uh, Brian Larue uh, way back. I think mm -hmm. it was episode yeah. seventeen or something like that. And we were talking about um, uh, we were talking about the that the framework and and begin was just beginning at that point. Um, but it was. Uh, uh, but it's really interesting that it's super simple to just kind of configure what these applications are going to be and then drop in your uh, drop in your your business logic. And then there's a whole bunch of other things that go around that. So CICD is one of the main pieces. But what about like developing locally? Oh, yeah. So for local development, uh, I was a big user of uh, the serverless serverless trademark, you know, framework, the right. the one that is called serverless. Uh, and local development was always like, in, you know, invoke the, the regular function. But now with Architect, um, we've emulated uh, a good chunk of how all the AWS services work. So you can uh, spin up what we call Sandbox, which is a local development server. And it emulates API Gateway, uh, Lambda functions, events, queues, um, and DynamoDB. Um, for folks that want to use, um, you know, some persistent data, which we always need to get from time to time, right? right. It's not all stateless all the time, even though I wish it were. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so the other the other piece that I think is really interesting, and this was funny, I kind of had a uh, had a laugh with Brian about this, where I had said that the architect framework seemed to be 
very uh, opinionated, right, in terms of how it sort of made some decisions in, in terms of how to do certain things. Um, and he thought it wasn't, but he, he, he gets how maybe I got to that conclusion. Uh, but what I think is interesting about the way Begin works, and this is not something that is so much opinionated, uh, more so as it's, I, I think, just uh, instructive and guiding of best practices. So when you use Begin, out of the box, it automatically sets up like a staging and a production environment for you, right? You limit like, you know, the size of the functions to five megabytes. Like what's the reasoning behind all that? So initially when I first came to Architect, like I wasn't even working for, uh, for Begin or I was just using Architect because it had, uh, you know, an awesome local developer experience and it was doing things with infrastructure as code in a completely different way. Um, and I think a lot of the opinions are there, uh, you know, just to make it smoother. And the other thing is architect is really focused on web applications. Like mm -hmm. its main job is to make sure that um, you can build a REST API really quickly, or you can build, uh, you know, a static site really quickly and get it deployed really quickly. And I think at that point, um, we want to make sure that the first, you know, default happy path mm -hmm. is going to be good enough for production level stuff. Because if you build it for production from the beginning, then there's no like uh, upscaling of your prototype. Like you're going to have staging, you're going to have production. When you, you know, you play in staging as long as you want. And when you want to go to production, click a button or release a Git tag. And it's just, that's it. Like yeah. it's already built in. Um, you know, a lot of people will try out begin for side projects and, and whatnot. But our, our, you know, the always the, the true goal is to build something that lasts and build something that is meaningful. And it's going to need um, just certain it's it's going to need certain features that will ensure that it is repeatable um, and stable and has all of the checks and balances that you want when 50 people or more working on your project. And so that's that's where like a lot of the opinion might come in is because of the experience of, of knowing where these projects should end up and sort of baking that into the happy path from the beginning. Right. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that, and, and that's the thing too, where with a lot of these frameworks or even some tutorials, um, the direction and the best practices, I don't want to say they're not there. They are kind of baked in, but they're not quite as explicit. So uh, oftentimes you start asking yourself like, well, should I do this or how should I do that? So I do love that Begin kind of enforces, uh, not so enforces, but definitely encourages you, uh, encourages you to do some of those things. So, so what's funny. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was going to say um, the things that we have opinions about are really just, uh, you know, for production, uh, for production support. And the things that we don't have opinions about are the things that everybody wants to have an opinion about. Like, uh, I just think that it's interesting um, that, like, we don't care what front end framework you, you, you use. Um, and we don't really care if you want to bring uh, another application framework on the back end either. Um, the only thing that we do, you know, really emphasize is that you keep your functions small so that they can load, you know, performantly. And we do care that um, you want your functions uh, separated and decoupled so that they can have independent deployments, you know, stuff like that. Um, the parts that we're trying to teach people about that are important for 
a serverless architecture. All right. Yeah. So now what about um, the runtimes? Because I know now we can only do Node.js um, and, and I believe uh, Deno as well, right? You can write it in Deno. Um, what, what about, you know, if I want to write something in Java? I don't know why I would want to, but let's say I did um, and, uh, or I wanted to do something in Python or something like that. It is, uh, is it possible to do that within Begin or will it be possible? It will be possible um, at some point. Right now, we're still working on enabling um, extra layers. So for folks that are not aware of what a layer is, um, it's a way to load external dependencies um, to be available for your Lambda functions. Currently, um, it is Node. And we did add Deno at the beginning of the year because it's just super exciting to try to do. So we've um, allowed people to build functions, you know, in TypeScript, run them on Deno on this serverless architecture. And the really cool thing about serverless is we can swap out runtimes mm -hmm. um, within the same application. So um, not available yet through begin, but if you use architect, you could totally mix and match your runtimes per function. So you could have an application built out with, you know, 60% node functions, 20%, uh, you know, Ruby functions and 20% Python functions, and it'll all work together in the same framework. Uh, we just load them um, either directly inside of the Lambda or load it as a layer to be used. Awesome. All right. So now what can you actually build with begin? You said it was very much focused on web applications or architect was very much focused on web applications. So uh, what are, what are the things, what are the sort of the standard things that we can build with, uh, with, with uh, begin? Sure. Uh, well, anything you can build with um, Lambda functions. So if, you know, folks are familiar with how they use Lambda functions, then that's what they can do with begin. Um, uh, what I like to build are, you know, just um, REST APIs, lots of just separate endpoints. I believe that begin is the fastest way to really just get an endpoint up and running. If you want to have like, I don't know, my, my go-to example is just like a quote machine. You want an endpoint where you can just hit and it'll bring back a random quote. Mm -hmm. um, you want an endpoint that's gonna, you know, reach and, and do some stuff with some data inside of DynamoDB. Um, you want to build a, you know, a full application with lots of different endpoints. Um, that's a perfect thing for, for begin. All right. And you can also use it for, I mean, of course, you know, API is a, or REST API is, uh, is often a, um, uh, an over encompassing, I guess, description because with those you can build Slack apps and you could build, uh, Alexa right, yes. skills and all those kind of things as well. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. Anything that uh, sort of has that sort of web hooky feel, right? You need a service to push some data to some endpoint, like you can build that. Um, yeah. And I think that it covers, you know, a, a huge amount of use cases for working developers today. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Hey everyone, I want to thank our sponsor Epsigon and tell you about their applied observability platform for modern applications, which supports both serverless and containers. 
Epsigon delivers an auto-instrumented trace-centric APM that automatically correlates traces, logs, and metrics that helps your teams reduce mean time to discovery, mean time to repair, and application downtime. And if you're running microservices, you can't effectively visualize traces without some sort of automation. Now, complexity of data in modern applications is growing faster than the ability to manage that change. When using serverless or containers, traditional monitoring tools do not deploy or scale well, leading to limited visibility, which means engineering teams spend a significant amount of time troubleshooting and resolving issues. This decreases the time spent on building new apps and adding functionality to keep up with the competition. If you're building modern applications, ditch the legacy APM solutions that scale poorly, create more overhead, and won't give you the visibility you need into your microservices. Instead, go to epsigon.com slash serverless chats and sign up for an Epsigon account. Try it for free for 14 days, connect your first trace, and even get a cloud observability drone. Once again, that's epsigon.com slash serverless chats. Um, all right, so what about data in sessions? Because that's another thing, you know, uh, I don't want to say a complaint. I mean, people who don't understand, I think, how to build serverless applications often think of stateful applications. Um, and yes, we need to rehydrate state and we need state in there. Um, what's cool about Begin, or I guess it's, it's part of Begin, part of Architect, or how it's mixed in there, uh, is this idea of having sessions that actually can track people from Lambda function call to Lambda function call. And I knew I know that it uses your backend database or it uses DynamoDB or the, I believe, what's it called? The begin data service in order to do that. But can you just explain like what that, like what's begin data? How does this session thing work? Cause it's really interesting to me. Yeah. So early on people, you know, we knew that people were going to need persistent data. And one of the, I guess, uh, one of the things that serverless does not do so well is handle, you know, socket connections to uh, databases, right? And like, there are ways to get around it and there are ways to make it work. But we feel that like DynamoDB has got everything that um, serverless needs for right. most cases. Um, and so we integrate that pretty heavily um, and we expose a DynamoDB client through another open source um, library called Begin Data. And what Begin Data allows is for people to um, uh, use Dynamo um, with, a, with a simplified API. So there's this like get, put, um, delete, batch, and increment, decrement, like some of the basics right. that you're going to need. Um, and and it's, it's new and it's different for people coming from even something like Mongo. Um, it's still different enough to where, um, you know, I, we need to do a better job of explaining it and, and putting out different examples. But for the sessions, um, you know, that's a basic web concept that, you know, needs to be there. Um, and persisting it from function to function, we have uh, middleware that can help and it'll write you know, the session either to um, begin data, which is a DynamoDB table, or uh, wrap it in a, in a JWT and then send it back and forth and, and like capture it inside that request object and, and shuffle it down through all the different requests um, that it may need to touch. So you can do things like authenticated login, get the session and hold that session until they're done and they log out. Um, and so you can pass 
certain session IDs back and forth between the different lambdas, um, and it'll be fine. Yeah, no, I think I think that is actually it's a great feature because I mean the ability to send in a, a NOTH token with every API request and then have API gateway uh, authenticate that and do all that work for you that's all possible. But what I love about Begin is it just sort of bakes that in, right? And I think that yeah. and again going back to you know this non traditional path into uh, into technology or even people who are in technology maybe you're a PHP developer and you want to move over to you know using serverless with Node or something. Like that, this idea of having that baked-in session management in there, which, by the way, is just an abstraction on top of you know auth tokens and things like that. So it's not like mm -hmm. it's doing anything. Uh, it's not. It's doing things that are supported. It just abstracts that away for you. Uh, so I really like that, and I also like the begin data thing because. It feels very much so like Redis, you know what I mean? Where it's a, you know, it doesn't have mm -hmm. all the same features, obviously, because Redis is uh, is is more powerful from a in-memory standpoint than Dynamo is. But in terms of what it gives you, just that ability to say, hey, I just need to save this little bit of information for this user, or I need to get this, or I need to increment some value, um, and having that all be powered by a serverless backend infrastructure is uh, is pretty cool. So the fact that it abstracts all that away, um, I think, is uh, I don't know. I think it's just it's it's very very it's it's awesome. I don't. I can't find the yeah. word for it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that that's why I you know I really want people to just give it a shot and and try it out and know that it is a little different. And then um, a big idea uh, at begin is this idea of a beginner's mind, mm -hmm. right? Like it's called begin for I, I, you know a really good reason. Like we want people who are you know gonna you know try out something new, but also see um, what is possible when they rethink, you know, what, what, what can, uh, what they can build right? and, and really bring that beginner's mindset to it. Yeah. So speaking of, um, you know, opening your mind to things, um, what about <laughs> Deno? So I, I'm not sure if people are familiar with what this is. Uh, it's been around for a little while. I think it just hit 1.0 or something like that, but, um, what is Deno and why, uh, you know, why is begin looking at it? Yeah, so Deno is a new JavaScript runtime from the creators of Node. They wanted to essentially like redo Node um, and create another uh, execution environment that is going to be, you know, more secure, more stable, and you know, more kind of web web native, right? They they wanted to build uh, an execution environment that's really going to be like the browser. So they've um, built in more browser APIs like fetch native to Deno. Um, they have the ability to do TypeScript if you do that kind of thing. Um, and uh, what we find really interesting about it is, again, because it's serverless, um, we've built like the plumbing to just say like, oh, I want Deno instead of Node. And you just yeah. go, great, just write Deno in the configuration. And now you're executing in Deno and not executing in Node. Yeah. And what like what are the advantages, though? I mean, because I, I, I've been looking at Deno a lot and I've, I've seen some, um, you know, that the TypeScript execution, for example, isn't quite as fast. Uh, you know, the type checking isn't quite as fast as some of the other things. But um, but like what I mean, so that's maybe some of the downsides. But what what do you think are some of the upsides besides just maybe the security and stuff? The upside, I think the, the, the biggest upside for me is uh, how it loads modules. It's just a URL. And like I get that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like um, require statements 
you could technically do it to be like pointing to a GitHub, like, you know, you, you could make it uh, a URL from end to end in node, but it's not built that way. Um, but when you are writing in Deno, it feels like you're writing for the browser more than for node. Um, and I think that that is a, a benefit um, because it ultimately, a lot of what we write ends up in the browser and that needs to be executed there. So if we get better at executing and writing JavaScript for browsers, and it also is the same style and APIs and um, like uh, data modeling that we have on the, on the server-side runtime, then uh, it just feels a lot nicer. Um, like being able to write a module and say like import this, dependency from this uh, endpoint. Mm -hmm. Well, you can control that endpoint, right? Like I could have one begin project that is my dependencies and I have my own mini NPM. That's just part of it. Ah, okay. Um, and like, I get to control that from the beginning. Um, and you know, there are, there are trade-offs um, obviously to how much you want to control your dependency tree, um, but you can do it. And it, it's, it's not insane. Like you don't need a, you know, uh, a whole lot of engineering talent to build your own repository now. And you just go ahead and you do it because the underlying infrastructure is AWS. It's already globally distributed. You can make it as fault tolerant as you'd like uh, and just go ahead and include it in your application workflow. And I think that is super powerful. I think that not relying on um, NPM for your builds mm -hmm. is something that it's going to make a big difference in a few years as things get faster and faster and faster and more demanding. Yeah, no, I think yeah. the, I think from the uh, security standpoint too, just around your NPM packages that you're using or any, any package, you know, any package manager you use, um, you know, as things change, you get that potential security issue. If, uh, if something comes up and, you know, somebody injects a bug somewhere or, or something gets in, you know, installed incorrectly. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting being able to sort of control your own destiny um, and your own dependencies um, on that side. So, um, all right. So let's go back to, uh, to maybe architect um, a little bit uh, and talk about this idea of cloud function based applications or CFAs. Now, this is something that I, I, you know, I saw on the begin site and I started searching around for it. And there's a few mentions of it, but it seems like this is something that begin has really uh, embraced this, this term cloud function based applications or CFAs. Um, so what, what is it about those that, um, that makes them so much better, at least in your opinion, and maybe begins opinion than building something on traditional servers like VMs and instances and things like that? Yeah, so I think I would start by saying Begin itself is a full serverless application. So when folks are interacting with Begin, they are 100% interacting with just Lambda functions and DynamoDB. So for folks that think um, you know it's just uh, like get, get calls, like you 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 can do a whole lot more behind the scenes because. Functions can also uh, give you queues. They can also give you like messaging channels. Um, they can also give you timers, uh, you know, with like um, scheduled jobs. And so this is 
part of the uh, architecture and infrastructure and your code base all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And um, that sounds really impressive. And all it means is that like, if you need to build an application that has, you know, a queue, you just go ahead and write the function for it. Or if you need an application that say, um, just needs uh, like a series of functions, like go ahead and put them uh, in a scheduled uh, function. And at the end of the at the end of the day, you look at your your application and you're able to read through what it does by the functions that are present. Mm -hmm. There's really nothing else to it. Um, you look at uh, what we call it as the arc file, the app.arc file. It's a manifest at the root of your project that defines your your um, your routes and defines all the functions that your application may have. Um, and it sounds like, oh man, I'm gonna have thousands of functions, but you really don't. Like when you boil your application down, you have like, I think all of begin is like under 60 or something like that. It's not, it's not too many where like I can just read through, like I know how the application's gonna work. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a really exciting architectural point for serverless applications. And um, it's just less, less for me to deal with at the end of the day. Like, I just know how my application works because I can look at the arc file and say like, oh, there's nine routes here, right. like good to go. Right. And then of course you have all the, uh, the serverless benefits in general to that, which is, you know, you're not paying when you're not oh, using right. things and right. And you get yet, uh, never, re never require patching, you know, those sort of things as well. It's, it's funny. I've been doing serverless now for so many years. I forget what like the basics <laughs> right. blow people, like the basics blow people's minds. And I'm just like, Oh yeah. Like I don't do VMs anymore. Like I don't have to specify anything. I just sort of have it available. Right. Um, and like Brian and I, when we pair program, it's, it's hilarious because he'll just open up a GitHub, uh, repo, like, like in the browser and yeah. then just like edit, edit the code, like in the, in the GitHub browser. And then I go to like scroll to the bottom and click the green commit button and it'll kick off a new build and we'll just go look at it on staging. Yeah. Like that, that, that part is super magical. Like. The, the, the speed of iterating through, you know, your prototype is, is just astronomical. Yeah, no, I, you make a good point about actually the, the things that I think blow people's mind about serverless, uh, those being lost on people <laughs> like us that have been doing it for so long. Like I just take for granted not having to set up a VM now. I mean, it's if anybody said like, "Hey, I need uh, I need a webhook that does this," I'd be like, "Okay, yep, I'm just going to set up a Lambda function and API gateway." Uh, or it's like, "I need I need some you know some other service or whatever." I'd be like, "Yeah, no problem. Just write it in a Lambda function." Um, mm -hmm. It is it is amazing that we don't necessarily think about we uh, think about that anymore. But um, so there are there are though some things about um, you know these idea of CFAs that are going to be a little bit limiting. I mean, there are just, I don't want to say limiting, but just things that you have to think about. So like, what are, what are some of those things that you, that you are kind of limited or need to maybe rethink mm -hmm. the way um, you build your applications when you're using these cloud function based uh, or the cloud function based approach? Sure. Sure. So um, I, I feel like all of us will make, you know, trade-offs 
in in our decisions in architecture right there's always going to be like do i need do i really need the new shiny or do i just use what i know and for for that huge use case you know each developer has to decide like if they want to put in the time to learn a new platform now um, we have tools and and examples and stuff to make that easier but the things that um, cloud functions can't do so well are like long-lived things things like obviously the function times out after 15 minutes if you want it to or at least up to 15 minutes but a lot of these limitations are going to be chipped away at over time. And I feel like AWS is gonna continue making them into like more and more traditional looking like execution environments. Mm -hmm. But you know, other things that we can't do are um, connect super easily to uh, say a relational database, something that's socket driven. Um, we don't have a, a good happy path for that right away. Not like we do with begin data. Um, we don't, uh, you know, have any way to build like container-based workflows. Like we just don't have them. We, mm -hmm. We're not going to pull from ECS. We're not going to pull um, container info down. Um, and, you know, it's uh, less about limitations of the of of begin and, and and frameworks as it is more about, you know, getting back to what is going to be the most web native really right and and that means that we're gonna make sure that the things that the browser and you know 99 percent of web applications can do we want to be able to support those use cases right right yeah and i think i think also most of what people are building now, other than maybe some component that runs in the background that does something fancy, most of what people are trying to build and trying to to architect now uh, are these are CRUD apps, right? With a little bit of mm -hmm. you know queuing in there and some web hooks and some maybe maybe calling uh, you know Amazon Comprehend uh, and and getting some sentiment analysis or things like that. Um, but for the most part, it's a lot about uh, you know. Compute and data, right? Like those seem to be yeah. the two, uh, the two biggest things. So, you, this is something interesting that you just said, and you mentioned <laughs> this idea about trade-offs. But I think that is important because serverless is a new paradigm, if we want to, you know, use that word to sort of describe it. Where you are certainly thinking about things differently when you build an application. And if you say, hey, I don't have state anymore and I need to rehydrate that state. And there's maybe a cost to rehydrating certain amounts of state in every Lambda function. Now we're talking milliseconds in order to do that, but it's still something you have to think about. The long lived executions. I can only run my Lambda function for up to 15 minutes. If I'm doing some sort of, um, you know, ETL tasks or something like that, I have to break it up into multiple sections. Um, and if I want to queue something, I'm no longer just saying, oh, I'm going to use RabbitMQ or, or something like that. I'm going to use SQS queues. And if I want to connect my Lambda function to an SQS queue, and again, I know that Begin and, and Architect help abstract some of this away, um, but I have to think about you know what, what the concurrency is going to be, like how fast do I want to be processing those things? Um, what are the redrive policies? What are the, um, you know, what do I do if something fails and it goes into a dead letter queue? Then what do I do and what's the, what's the replay um, and some of those other things? 
So I am of the opinion, and 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 maybe you know, and I, I well, I would like to think others are, uh, sort of agree with me on this, but that serverless is getting more and more complex, right? That where that we took this idea of simply saying, hey, here's a function responding to an event, um, and we created an entire ecosystem around it that made it much more complex. I like what Architect does, and I like what Begin is doing with Architect in that it tries to simplify that. I like the idea of serverless components, where you try to simplify um, you, you try to simplify the connection between the building blocks. Same thing with SAR, the serverless application repository. So I just love to get your opinion on this. Do you think serverless is becoming too complex? Are we are we potentially going to shut out new people and new adopters if we continue to go down this road where we get very very granular with these building blocks and just make it harder and harder to stitch all these things together? I think that it it, it has no uh, it has no choice but to become more complex over time. Um, that's just what's going to happen. But a whole new set of tools and services like Begin are going to come out of it in order to keep that overhead low. Mm-hmm. We want to uh, there there will be opportunities for people to um, create tools and processes that like push away and abstract a lot of the, the, what we just undifferentiated heavy lifting, right? Over and over and over again. So as complicated as, as AWS has become, right? Like I always make a joke, like AWS, you know, they've got a service for everything, right? Including satellites. So <laughs> like, if you want a satellite, you can go to AWS. I don't need satellites. I just need an, like, an endpoint behind an HTTP server. <laughs> right. And uh, that's what Begin does. Like, and so we found that, you know, somebody who's making a web application doesn't need to log in to the console and click through nine different menus to see their logs. Like, yes, that's complicated because when AWS first started off, you know, they, they had less links on their page. <laughs> right. Now, now there's like 300 links of places to go to and services you probably don't need. And they, AWS doesn't uh, have a, a strong need to simplify. Uh, and so that's why Begin exists. And we're going to simplify the, um, the parts that web developers care about and, and, and really focus that down. And if you need something outside of like the eight services, eight AWS services that we, we provide you, um, you know, you can try to write your other integrations around that. But really, for most use cases, like you just need the eight. <laughs> right. And, and like, so it can get as more complicated as you want. Um, but still, like, you just need the eight. Yeah. No, I, I think I think that's a good point. I mean, I think part of the problem is is you go to the AWS console and you write and you see 250 services or however many services it has, and you say, all right, I want to build a CRUD app. I don't think I need the satellite. Um, but uh, but I mean, is that is it something where we're just we keep on trying to replace one level of abstraction with another level of abstraction? Yeah, I I think that's totally valid. Uh, I would say that um, uh, right now, the way I'm building applications is definitely simpler. Uh, it's definitely more, um, I guess, in step with 
like doing a thing, seeing a thing, doing a thing, seeing a thing. Um, and in that part, you know, I, I want to keep that feedback loop um, tight mm-hmm. and, you know, going as best we can. But I, I just don't know if there's a, you know, a, a great way to say, yep, we're, we're, we're too complicated now. Time to blow it away and, and start over again. Right. Uh, I just think we just continue focusing on, you know, the core services that you need uh, and making those uh, faster and better. Yeah. I wonder, too, if the variety of abstractions also adds to the complexity. Um, so even oh, though yeah. <laughs> even though one thing makes oh, it yeah. easier, now you've got AWS uh, CDK, you've got CDK TF, you've got CDK K8s, you've got the serverless <laughs> framework, you've got all these different ways that you can you can provision, and then then you just have the complexity of, of, of cloud formation underneath that. Um, that uh, you know, it's it's sort of funny where it's like, well, which one do I choose? Because at the end of it all, they all do the same exact thing. Yeah, push to cloud formation. So even Architect pushes the cloud formation. Like that's how we make it repeatable. Because for on the AWS side, um, not any of the other cloud providers, but on the AWS side, cloud formation is the one way to have repeatable infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? And so even Architect will build down to a SAM, a SAM template, and then the SAM template will build down to CloudFormation. So part of the um, really cool foresight that Brian had when he was building this was, you know, if you build your application with Architect, you can still deploy directly to AWS with SAM. Yeah. Because it's, it's a hot, like SAM is downstream of us. Yeah. Um, and so if somebody was using begin and then they, you know, wanted to really expand and get that satellite, right. If they, if somebody was using begin, they're like, man, I need that satellite. They're like, great. Like you can, you can take your same project, send it directly to AWS and then add your satellite. <laughs> like, right. Right. It's, it's fine. Um, uh, we, we, you know, you know, we let you do that. And that's a big part of, uh, of how we run. Hi, everyone. I wanted to thank our sponsor, Homeschool. Homeschool is a new training resource for the modern developer. They provide guided training from the most recognizable names in serverless, machine learning, cloud security, front-end frameworks, and more. I'm sure we're all familiar with on-demand learning, just watching video after video after video. But Homeschool is different. It uses sprint-based learning and direct feedback from your instructor to maximize the results you see immediately. You can still learn from your own desk, wherever you are in the world. And each course requires about five hours per week to complete the module, work with your classmates, and take part in live Q&A with your instructor. And once you finish the course, you retain access to the platform forever. Homeschool's next courses are running in September, and you can choose from Jan Trey's, AKA the Burning Monks, Gold Standard 101 course, Production Ready Serverless, Simona Coton's Advanced React JS course, or Serverless Heroes, Slobodan Stojanovic, and Alex Simovic's AppSync and Amplify course. Now, if you want to take your cloud and serverless skills to the next level, check it out at homeschool.dev and reserve your spot today.
Well, and the other thing I think too is, especially from a serverless adoption standpoint, I mean, when you're trying to pick what framework you want to use or whatever, um, it's a lot easier if you're building a greenfield application, right? So if you say, hey, I'm just building some new service that does X, Y, Z, I can really choose any one of these frameworks and I can uh, I can just hit the ground running with it. Whereas if you already have, you know, 20, 30, whatever applications or hundreds or thousands of applications if you're an enterprise, then you have to try to say, okay, how do I maybe fit this new paradigm into the tools that I'm already using? Yeah, um, so that's a, that's always the migration path uh, is where the rubber meets the road. Um, all of the tutorials out there for serverless are greenfield, like you said. And I'm trying to create some better examples of like say wrapping your existing applications with serverless components. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a very famous um, architecture style. Was it? It's um, the Strangler pattern. If you're yep. familiar with it, very familiar. I like yep. to call it. I for anybody else who's, who knows about it. I want us all to start thinking about it as the hugging pattern instead. I think <laughs> I think strangling is is just too harsh for these applications that have worked for us for so hard for so long. We don't need to strangle them. What we need to do is hug them. And so uh, I, I want people to 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 embrace the hugging pattern. And if you're watching a video, I'm like I'm like hugging <laughs> uh, myself right now, where you take your old application and you and you lovingly wrap it in uh, serverless functions. And you take that application and you give it to people who are systems engineers and who are really gonna take care of it. You're, you're gonna make sure that it's stable and that no one else is gonna mess with it and that it gets to live out its life, like making HTTP requests until it can't anymore. Meanwhile, you've built a support network around it to handle all of this incoming messy, HTTP traffic. Uh, and one example I did of that was uh, I, I had another one of my early um, websites that I had built, and it was still running a PHP LAMP stack VM somewhere mm-hmm. on DigitalOcean. And all it was doing was catching a single form. It was a contact form. <laughs> and I didn't even know how to write PHP at the time. Okay. I just copied and pasted right. PHP.email. And it's like 40 lines. I, I cannot read it. I don't know what it is. It's a, it's a lot of brackets. Uh, and all it did was send me an email when someone filled out the form. And I was like, man, this has been five bucks a year for the last five years. Like, why am I doing this? Right, right. <laughs> and so I just rewrote it. Uh, the front end's all the same. It's, it's jQuery. It's really, really advanced blazing jQuery. Uh, <laughs> And I threw it in an S3 bucket, I put it on begin, and I built uh, a single function uh, that now sends me a Slack message when someone fills it out. Right. And like, that's better than email. Uh, I, I, that email account, like it's the only one email account. Like you can combine and, and bring new life and really hug your old applications uh, to give them you know, the life that they deserve. They're working for you nonstop without complaining you should right. give them a hug not <laughs> strangle them but anyway that's 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 my big uh like point for the day it's like hug your servers man like i don't 
I don't find serverless as a like, oh, I hate my server. I, I find serverless as I love my server. I love my server so much. I want to let it go. <laughs> sort of a corollary <laughs> between like, uh, you know, sending your grandparents or your parents to a nursing home, right? Like it's sort of, like, <laughs> you know, just okay. give them the support they need. But eventually, exactly. you know, you need other people to take on those responsibilities. Um, exactly. So, <laughs> the thing you said about moving that that one you know that one server that was costing you five dollars a year whatever it was uh, and just to capture a form for example um, that's the kind of thing where I think if you explain it to someone like that saying like hey I had a whole uh, computer set up or a whole server set up just to catch a form because I needed to catch a form and now all that's gone away to a point where I never have to worry if if one the page that serves up the form itself is still there. Or two, whether or not the infrastructure is still going to be running um, to support capturing that form on the back end, um, that is something that that I think personally is quite magical, right? Like it's a sort of really interesting <laughs> thing. And I say that because you had a presentation you gave at ServerlessConf uh, New York, and you said that serverless developers are magic makers. So I'd love it if you just give me a you know your, your opinion. Why why is serverless so magical? So in that presentation, I did uh, a real-time demo of serverless WebSockets. Right. And that is the most magical experience I've had in technology is when uh, I was creating persistent connections between clients and users uh, without having to write or stand up a specific WebSocket server. So I didn't have to write any of that logic to handle the connections uh, at a network level. Like I still handle connections in my application. Mm -hmm. I am fully in the application level responsible for everything. But at a network level, all that has been advocated. And so what is magical is the experience that developers uh, can create for their users. I think that is magical. I think it's magical when um, we get past all of the technicals. And I think it's magical when humans decide like, oh, I'm going to make this application and it's going to help someone, you know, find their perfect whatever. And that ability and that power, that that is magical um, for us as developers to say, yeah, I have the, I can create that. Like I can create this next thing and it'll make somebody, you know, a little, it'll, it'll make somebody's life a little easier. Um, and, and that, that is some power and that is some magic that we should respect for sure. Totally agree. Totally agree. So, <laughs> um, another thing that I would have to say is quite magical and I'm sure you would agree with this is when you watch Nicolas Cage in a movie, I mean, you're just transported, <laughs> right? You're just transported. Yeah. Uh, you have a, I would say unhealthy obsession with Nicolas Cage and that maybe that's just, uh, maybe that's just my opinion, but uh, why, what's so, I mean, it just, you incorporate them into your presentations, which I think is great because again, it just, it gives some, it gives people something to connect on. And when you see boring presentations that are, uh, you know, just going through the, you know, bullet point after bullet point, I know I give a lot of presentations like that. I'm like, I can't believe people watch these. Um, but you know, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, interest in Nicolas Cage, like what's, what's that all about? I have been so blessed and fortunate that I can continue in this career 
while also serving and worshiping Nicolas Cage. So, um, as, as, as we mentioned earlier, like I'm uh, a self-taught developer and uh, I also, you know, don't learn things super easy. So I have to come up with good excuses for why I need to learn something like to myself, right? Whenever you want to learn something, I'm sure something drives you. The thing that drives me to learn is using Nicolas Cage, like honestly and truly. When I want to learn something new, I think, okay, how can I make this ridiculous by adding Nicolas Cage? <laughs> and so like when I build a new, when, I, when I, like, I'm testing out, say, a static website builder and I got to build a blog, uh, I could read through documentation. Yeah, I do that. Uh, I could do their tutorial. Yeah, I could do that. Or I could build a new Nicolas Cage blog and then spend like, you know, an hour or so looking for interesting articles to put into my blog. And now all of a sudden I've got not just a blog, I've got a blog with content and it mm -hmm. looks really cool. And I learned something about Nicolas Cage and I've built it all from scratch. And well, now I've done the thing. Um, and I do that for every single thing I've done. My very first Nicolas Cage project was a React component. And I was like, man, I need to learn React. It's probably going to be a thing. <laughs> and so <laughs> I made one component inside of a code pen where every time you clicked it, it went and got a random GIF and made it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it took over the whole viewport. And then it shrunk down again. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's like, it just did this over and over again. I was like, wow, look at this. It doesn't refresh. This is just updating state on its own. It's manipulating this virtual DOM thing. Like, this is really cool. And I never built a to-do app with it, right? Like, I just built these silly things. Um, and Nicolas Cage is there because <laughs> there's <laughs> nothing else on the internet that has as much source material uh, as Nicolas Cage. Like, I... I, I I promise you, go and find another bit of source material in popular culture and media that has as much wealth of information as Nicolas Cage. And like, the only things I could think of were like The Simpsons, and that's about it. And like, <laughs> that might be it. <laughs> like, the only other like longest running television show on the planet. <laughs> Maybe Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon's got a lot of uh, stuff around him as well. So like, so like Kevin Bacon, but. It kind of petered out, right? Like Kevin, like when was the last thing you ever heard Kevin Bacon do? I'm that's not good, sure. It's been a, a while, point. right? That's a and good so, point. I, I think, but Nicholas Cage is continuously evolving. He's continuously doing bigger and crazier and badder things. All right. Well, hopefully, we didn't lose too many people on the Nicholas Cage <laughs> thing, but um, but I, I know you're a huge fan. So, just quickly, favorite Nicholas Cage movies. Mm. Oh, there's so many good movies. Um, the current favorite is obviously um, National Treasure. Mm. Like, can't can't beat National Treasure uh, at all. Uh, it's it's just like a wonderful, wonderful movie. Uh, for the deep cut, I like Vampire's Kiss because it's kind of where the memes start, and like that's where we get a lot of his craziness. Um, I think Ghost Rider, you know, and Con oh, yeah. Air, and like. His oh, big, Con Air was like, a good movie. The yeah, yeah, and like The Rock. Like, come on. Oh yeah, The Rock. Wow. Yeah, yeah you know what? I gotta yeah. have to rethink this whole uh, Nicolas Cage thing because I there are some that's good right. there are some good movies in that catalog there. So that's right. That's right. Yeah, and I <laughs> I uh, 
he has a hundred movies, a hundred. That sounds like, like a lot. <laughs> yeah, and what part part of his working philosophy is that like you wouldn't ask uh, a baseball player to play less games. So why should an actor, you know, not be in as many movies as they can? And I was point. like, man, that's that is amazing because we always we always think that like actors take movies. If, if an actor does too many movies, it's because they they need the money. But what if they just like acting? Mm. Or trying to act. I'm just kidding. I'm totally. Ah, there you go. There you go. You had to get it in a little bit, but that's fine. I forgive you. As, as a preacher, as a preacher of Nicholas Cage, right. I have it right. within me to forgive you for your transgressions. I, I appreciate that. And you know what else I appreciate, Paul? I, I appreciate you being here um, and sharing your knowledge of not only Nicholas Cage, uh, but also about Begin and just service in general. Um, I love this. Uh, I love this community. I love the people like you are in it and sharing, you know, these crazy things. Um, so if people want to get, uh, you know, or get in touch with you, find out more about Begin and other things you're working on, what's the, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, first, go get uh, and try out Begin at begin.com. Once you sign up for an account, you can build an app in like 30 seconds or less by clicking two buttons. All you need is GitHub. Serious. Like, go try it. Uh, second, I'm always on uh, Twitter, Paul Chin Jr., at Paul Chin Jr., um, you know, please, any questions about Nicolas Cage or serverless or begin or food. Yeah, I'm a big food person too. So just, just send me a message. I love talking to people. Um, and then final shout out to uh, 757 dev. They are my local, uh, developer community here in Virginia beach and Norfolk, uh, in Virginia. Uh, they've been incredibly, incredibly helpful for, um, for everything that I've been able to do. So I want to give a shout out to them. That's awesome. All right. And I know that there's learn.begin.com as another ah, sort of yes. training resource. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes, learn.begin.com has uh, tutorials um, for building a lot of these uh, serverless application concepts that we've been talking about. And not only will the tutorial teach you uh, how to do the app, it'll deploy it it'll show you like where you deploy mm-hmm. to. So your app will actually be live and not just sitting on localhost. Awesome. And check out arc.codes as well if you want to see the architect framework. All right, we will get all that into the show notes. And I think we might have to add a new um, a new uh, sort of segment to the show where we ask people what their favorite Nicolas Cage movies are. Please, please do it. I, I, think, uh, I think it could be a good thing. I, I would love it for... Uh, cage to become a patron saint of of serverless (laughs) alright well thanks again Paul thank you Jeremy I really appreciate it and that's this week's serverless chat I want to give a huge thank you to Paul Chin Jr. for being my guest this week and to our sponsors Homeschool and Epsigon if you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 63 For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter, at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.